covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile, and my name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as we are with you for the next 30, 40, 50 minutes. We'll see how long it ends up going as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. The first episode since the Brewers have been back on the field actually playing baseball. And that is a very good thing. Very, very good thing is spring training underway, Cactus League games underway, and what do you know, the season opener, it is right around the corner. Let's take care of our normal housekeeping items as we always begin the program this way. First off, if you do listen to the program via Apple Podcast or iTunes, whatever you want to call it, if you can take a moment and leave a review for the podcast, that would be fantastic. We always appreciate that. It helps uh, other people find the podcast, so that's the first thing. The uh, second thing is, if you ever want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter. You can tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air, or you can always drop me an email as well, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. Here's what we have uh, coming up on the program today. Kyle Loebner is going to join us in uh, just a little while. He is one of our uh, guests that comes on fairly often, as uh, you know him uh, from the Frosty Mug. You also read him at the Timber Rattlers website and uh, at the Shepherd Express, so he's going to join us coming up in just a few moments. And, of course, we'll go through our headlines of the week coming up in just a bit as well. But right now I want to talk about something that really, it's almost like it's been years in the making if you base it off the Twitter rumblings, for lack of a better term, the idea of Ryan Braun playing first base and not just occasionally playing first base, but playing first base a a healthy, substantial amount of the time. And I don't know what path we're on right now in terms of that possibly happening or that not happening. There's a lot going on. You know, the old gun to your head, what, what's going to happen? I would say Ryan Braun's going to play a little bit of first base. But then you look at some of the things that are happening, and some signs would indicate that maybe Braun's going to play a little bit more first base than we expected him to. But then you also say, is this all part of the, all part of the game in terms of – how you want other teams to view what you're doing and how they should value your guys. So here's what I mean by all this. So the reason, the motivation to put Ryan Braun at first base would to be able would be the idea is to have an outfield that can have Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Kane, and Domingo Santana. Right now all four of those guys are on the roster and you have three outfield spots. So you play Ryan Braun at first base to give yourself your probably your best possible lineup you know when when everybody's playing at their best with all due respect to eric thames you'd rather have ryan braun in the lineup than eric thames again best eric thames versus best ryan braun and i'm not saying best eric thames in terms of what he did in the first month of the season last year i think we can say what his best is is somewhere below that at this point in time there's still this feeling that the team will make a move with Domingo Santana. He's the guy that probably makes the most sense to trade. Uh, You're not trading Ryan Braun, and you're not trading either of your two new outfielders. So moving Domingo Santana, there continues to be uh, some some common sense thinking that moving him would get you something back and it would be able to clear up the logjam. So here's where you, you figure out what's going on, or you try to figure out what's going on. 
because manager Craig Council has basically said that Christian Yelich is going to play a lot of left field. Now, that does a few things. First off, it may be in deference to Domingo Santana. You're not going to publicly sit here and say Domingo Santana doesn't have a job. Also, if you sit there and say Christian Yelich is going to be in right field and Ryan Braun's going to be in left field, then again, you're saying in another way that Domingo Santana doesn't have a job, and that hurts you in terms of negotiating for Santana. So that might be part of this whole thing. Again, being respectful to Domingo Santana after the season he had last year. Uh, he's he's earned that as well. Or maybe it's just 100% truthful. And maybe they have this belief that Ryan Braun can play a lot of first base. And with the days that they're going to give Braun off, between days that they want to give other outfielders off, that they can you know, play, some, play Braun at first a bunch and play him in left a fair amount when, when Christian Yelich is out or somebody else is out, and it's all going to work out just fine. I don't know. Like that's generally, I try to open up the the podcast with a with a strong statement. All I'm doing here is kind of navigating through all the things that have been said. Now we haven't seen Ryan Braun play first base in a Cactus League game yet. That's going to start soon. He's generally he doesn't play in spring training games till very very late in spring. He always says that it's not really the hitting that he has to uh, get put together in spring, that he just wants to get some time defensively just to kind of get his bearings right uh, going into the season. Well, now that he's going to play a little bit of first base, he's going to play a little earlier this spring than he has in springs before. So we'll watch and see. If he looks great at first base, that, that's, that tells you that it's a possibility. If he doesn't look great at first base, then maybe that experiment is going to be just that, an experiment, and it's not something that we can expect to see on a normal basis. The bottom line is if Ryan Braun ends up playing a lot of first base and Domingo Santana is on the 25-man roster, all of a sudden you start to say, where does Jesus Aguilar end up on this team? Does he end up on this team? And I don't see... a to me, it probably comes down to Santana versus Aguilar for a roster spot. And the last thing you would want to see happen is you get to the regular season, you still have Santana, so you have to get rid of Aguilar, and then you end up making a move for Santana. You've already moved Aguilar, whether it's via trade or being designated for assignment, and you don't have either one. So it's a tricky situation right now. It's a really tricky situation right now, and it's certainly something that, to me, it has kind of replaced the situation with the starting rotation as the top storyline in spring. Uh, we, we know what this group is in the starting rotation. We know there's competition on the backside. Yes, there could still possibly be additions. But right now, for me, this storyline of how this roster is going to be figured out with the outfielders and Santana and Bronga play at first, all that stuff, it's just one big equation and how that's going to work out to me. That is the most interesting storyline at this point in time. All right, here's what's coming up on the program today. Kyle Loebner is going to join us in just a few minutes, but let's get rolling with this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. A reminder, we do record this on Sunday night, so while we try to keep the information as general as possible, as we go along through the course of uh, the program, the information that we are using is current as of Sunday evening. Uh, the Brewers did start spring training play, Cactus League play. They played a, uh, a split squad games on Friday, winning both of them. They defeat the Cubs by a 2-1 to one score, and then they win against San Francisco by a 6-5 score. 
They lose on Saturday to the Angels 6-5. Uh, that was the Shohei Otani, Otani game, and uh, Keon Broxton went deep against Otani, which was uh, pretty cool. Uh, but they lose that game by a 6-5 score, and then they come back on Sunday and get a win against Arizona by a 5-1 score. Jolie Chassin, by the way, getting uh, that win in that contest uh, for the Brewers as he made his uh, debut. A couple news and notes uh, from the week. Let's start with Jolie Chassin. Uh, he pitched, by the way, just one inning, gave up a hit, had uh, no strikeouts and a walk. Uh, something that he says he's going to uh, try to do is uh, really try to uh, use the changeup a little bit more. That's something that he said uh, this past uh, week. So he's a guy who's already got the, the fastball, the sinker, the slider, and if he can uh, use that uh, changeup a little bit more, if he can, it doesn't have to be a plus pitch. If it can just be there, uh, that could go a long way towards him having uh, some success. Also, Adam McAlvey wrote about this over at Brewers.com uh, this past week, that Giovanni uh, Gallardo and pitching coach Derek Johnson something that he really wants Giovanni Gallardo to do a bit more is pitch up in the zone. We've seen a change in baseball. I think I think in the last I don't know 10 years, 5 years, maybe 5 years where pitchers are pitching high in the zone more and more and more. Now you have to really be able to command your stuff to pitch high in the zone because if you miss high you're, you're going to give up something to hit, and you don't want to do that, obviously. But if you can pitch high in the zone and hit your spots, uh, we're seeing a lot more pitchers do that. It's a, it's a change, uh, but there's there seems to be some success with it. And Brewers pitching coach Derek Johnson uh, really wants Giovanni Gallardo to do that uh, a bit more. So that's kind of part of the uh, that's part of the process moving forward with him, and uh, we'll see we'll see where that uh, where that ends up going. Uh, you know, it, it, look, it's from a headline standpoint, it's hard to talk about anything. We could go over some of the numbers from the first uh, four games, read some box scores, but they don't tell you much at this point in time. You know, this time next week we'll know a little bit more. There's going to be a few more uh, headlines. Uh, obviously, Ryan Braun, as we talked about in our opening segment, uh, he has been uh, working over at first base. He's going to get into some spring training games at first base in all likelihood uh, this week, and uh, we'll talk about that a bit more uh, next week. And, and then one other note, and this is uh, pretty cool, uh, Jeff Jenkins was inducted into the Brewers Walk of Fame. He is going to be the 20th player uh, inducted into the Walk of Fame. This is this is a high honor. The only honor that is greater for a former Brewers player other than the Walk of Fame is uh, having your number retired. So uh, great stuff from Jeff Jenkins. I am a voter in that, and uh, I, I, I don't know how much we're actually supposed to talk about uh, who we vote for and who we don't vote for and all that sort of thing, but I can say... Uh, of the 37 folks who have votes, 27 voted for Jenkins, and I was one of the 27. This is my first year voting in that, uh, which is pretty cool. It was awesome that they uh, allowed me to uh, have a vote, and uh, I did include Jeff Jenkins on my ballot. I had a few people on my ballot, but Jeff Jenkins uh, was one of them. The Brewers have also announced that um, – Prince Fielder and former general managers Doug Melvin and Harry Dalton are being added to the Brewers Wall of Honor. And the Brewers, along with the Milwaukee Braves Historical Society, said that they are going to be putting Bob Beal in the Braves Wall of Honor. So that was the additions to those groups this past week. And During the course of the season, there's going to be ceremonies for all those individuals to commemorate their accomplishment. That is this week's headline 
headlines of the week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile as we do continue on. Right now, very happy to uh, welcome onto the program as we get into our social media conversation. You can read them on the Timber Rattlers website. You can read them in the uh, Shepherd Express. You also uh, see him do the Frosty Mug every day. In fact, there's new news on the Frosty Mug. We'll get to that coming up uh, later on in our conversation. It is our uh, good friend Kyle Lobner. Follow him on Twitter at BrewFrostyMug. Kyle, always great to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. That's great to hear from you as well. The uh, spring training is underway. They are playing games. We saw uh, Keon Broxton homer off uh, Otani here to uh, get things rolling. That might be one of the big highlights in uh, the small sample size of games so far. So just very general, vague kind of question. What has uh, stood out to you so far in the very short amount of time of spring training? Well, I think the best news of the first few days is just that we haven't had to hold our breath very much. I mean, we, we haven't had to see anybody come off the field. I mean, really, the, the scariest moment of the first few days was Manny Pena getting hit by a couple of pitches on Friday. Um, but aside from that, it, it's been a relatively quiet few days. The Brewers have won a few games, which is always nice to see, but really kind of a, a side note. Um, and actually, for, for Shepard Express on Monday, I have a story coming up on G-Man Choi. Um, who had a, a pretty nice weekend, has played in three games now these first three days, has a hit in all of them, hit a home run on Sunday, um, and has really you know looked pretty good out there and maybe put himself in line to have a bit of a hot spring and make a, a dark horse run at the roster. Do you do you see a legit – I mean, when he was signed, everybody viewed him as a triple-A guy. Do you see a, a legitimate path to him being able to find his way onto the opening day 25-man roster outside of injury? Well, I think the the best-case scenario for Choi is that he puts himself in a position where he makes it a really difficult decision for the Brewers. Um, But, yeah, it's a long shot, um, barring injury, and maybe barring multiple injuries, because even if the Brewers were to decide to go with a five-man bench, which they've indicated they don't plan on doing, um, Choi would seem to be behind Jesus Aguilar on the depth chart, and if the Brewers decide to go with a four-man bench, there may not be room for either of those guys. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Troy would need to have a very hot spring to put himself in that conversation, but he's off to a decent start, and so it's a possibility. I'm trying to – my kind of internal battle right now is the idea of Ryan Braun playing first base more than any of us really expected when we first heard it. Is that a legit deal, or is this still more you know playing chicken with teams to try to up the value on Domingo Santana, trying to get other teams to believe that they can go into the season with Braun playing a lot of first and the other three guys playing the outfield? Do you think we're going to see a lot of Braun at first base this year? I don't. Um, I still think, you know, I, I wrote about this a few weeks ago, talking about, you know, how this is kind of crazy idea season. You know, this is the time of year where teams come to camp and they throw out that they're going to steal a ton more bases, or they're going to bat their pitcher race this year. And most of those proposals are forgotten by opening day. Um, and I strongly suspect that the first, you know, that the best case scenario for the Brewers is finding a way to clear up their outfield logjam, finding a way to make a move, um, and then putting themselves in a position where they can play Ryan Braun in left field um, most days or as often as he is able to be out there. 
um, and, and hopefully reap the benefits of trading somebody like Domingo Santana um, on this roster. Now, if that doesn't happen, that they need to have a backup plan because if this winter has shown us one thing, it's that even the most obvious moves across baseball take a very long time right now to come to fruition. Um, and so I will be curious to see. Uh, this week, I think, is going to tell us a lot. We'll probably see Braun in games at first base for the first time this week. Um, if it looks like a thing that he is going to be able to do reasonably well, then, yeah, we could see him there. And at the very least, it would be a nice thing for the Brewers to have that flexibility going forward, even if it doesn't turn out to be a necessity. Um, but then it's going to raise a very interesting question. If he is capable of playing there, how much should he play there? Um, is it worth it to bump Eric Thames out of the lineup a little more often and play him at first base? And I don't have a good answer for that at this point. I think um, Eric Thames comes to camp with a lot to prove this spring, um, but kind of quietly, if this goes well for Ryan Braun, he may also be battling for playing time. And, it, you know, Craig Council basically said Christian Yelich is going to play a lot in left field. That kind of went along with the – if Christian Yelich is in left, that means Ryan Braun's not. So Braun's got to go either be on the bench or play somewhere else that day. It's just – it's hard for me right now, Kyle, to figure out what's truthful and what's being said to maybe position the team you know, for, for trades or moves or to, you know, be careful with the feelings of, of individuals, whether it's Domingo Santana or Eric Thames or somebody else. There's just so much that's up in the air right now. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, the, the worst thing the Brewers could do, and maybe this isn't even something they would consider, but the worst thing the Brewers could do is go out publicly and say, we don't have a job for Domingo Santana. You know, because you know that even the teams that really could use Domingo Santana aren't going to offer you full value for him um, once you go out and say that. So the Brewers have to, um, you know, both for posturing purposes and additionally based on the premise or based on the possibility that nothing gets done, they have to go out and look at backup plans. Um, and this is what they have at this point. Now, I still think by opening day it's most likely they resolve this in another way, but it's possible they won't. Um, and if that's the case, then yeah, we'll have to figure out where these guys can play, um, and, and see you know see how it plays out as the year goes along. Isn't there some urgency to it though? Because if you let's say you go to opening day and you don't have it all figured out, and you've got a, a roster situation where those four guys are on the roster, plus you have Eric Thames, all of a sudden it's tough to find a spot for Jesus Aguilar. And then if you make a move after the season's already started, maybe you've already lost Aguilar. So there's there's definitely some motivation to, to get this thing figured out before the regular season starts. I think that's absolutely true. But I think the flip side of that, um, you know, general managers occasionally get themselves in hot water for having faulty crystal balls. Um, and the, you know, maybe the worst case scenario is that you accept kind of a, you know, 75% of value deal for Domingo Santana right now, um, and next week Lorenzo Cain pulls a hamstring, you know, or, or something like that happens where all of a sudden it would have been really nice to have Domingo Santana. Um, and so I think, you know, that maybe the best thing you can say about this Brewer team right now is that they have too many major leaguers pretty much across the board at every position at this point. Um, but the upside of that is if something were to happen this spring, and past springs suggest that, you know, if you go 1 through 25 through your projections, at least one or two of those guys probably isn't actually going to be there on opening day. Um, this is a Brewer team that is well-positioned to cover for those guys. Um, but 
as you mentioned, on the flip side, you know, if it gets to be the last week in March and they're still sitting on all those guys, they run the risk they're going to have to let some of these guys go because you can't keep them all. From a pitching standpoint, after they acquired Yelich and Kane, I, I was I was as close to 100% sure as you could be without being 100% sure that they were going to go out and still acquire another starting pitcher. And I realize, you know, all those guys other than you, Darvish, that have been out there for most of the year or for the entire offseason are still out there. But I'm being – I'm – I'm less and less confident that they're going to make a move for a starting pitcher and starting to feel like maybe this is the rotation going into uh, going into the season. Where do you stand on pitching? You know, I think when you look at the group, I mean, one through three, the Brewers have been very straightforward. They feel like this group is set right now with Chassin and Davies and Chase Anderson. And when you look beyond that, there are probably five or six guys in the conversation for those last two spots and I am relatively confident that in that group there are one or two that can be solid big leaguers, um, probably two. It's a really difficult task to guess which ones, um, and I think that's the, the boat the Brewers are going to find themselves in for the next few weeks unless they decide to make a move. Uh, but with that said, yeah, I could see this group being all right um, if needed to, if they need to. I think Junior Guerra still has a lot of the same talent that made him the opening day starter a year ago. Uh, Brandon Woodruff is a guy who's been a top prospect for a long time now. You know, and then beyond them, there are some veteran guys and some other candidates that I think could easily you know slot in as well if they have a nice spring. Wade Miley looked pretty good in his debut today. And so, yeah, I, I think it would not be a crisis if this Brewer team failed to acquire a starting pitcher. Uh, but with that said, it would be nice um, to have a little more certainty. Um, it, it would be... You know, a guy like Lance Lynn would slot into this rotation pretty clearly right now and provide a level of the ability to eat innings that most of this roster does not have. Um, and so, yeah, the Brewers are in a nice position right now because, you know, all winter long they have been reluctant to overpay for these guys. Well, they're in a spot now where they really don't need to. Um, there is not a glaring need. If there is an opportunity to improve this roster in a relatively inexpensive way, I think you'll see them chase it. Um, and they've shown that they have the financial flexibility to do so. Um, but they're not in a position where, you know, guys are banging at the door and it's just a matter of time before they answer it. Um, they're in a position right now where they could go either way and probably be okay. I know baseball's already changed the rule once, but do you think they change it again where the draft pick compensation, maybe you don't lose a draft pick, maybe they go back to the, the compensatory round sort of things for, for guys? Because I think that still is a big reason why those three guys have not signed. Players or teams don't want to give up that draft pick. I think that's probably part of it. I mean, I, I think when you go case by case through this group, um, when you look at the numbers that Jake Arrieta was throwing out early this winter, that his camp was throwing out, um, it is perhaps not surprising that 30 MLB teams took a look at Jake Arrieta wanting $200 million and said, no thanks. Um, and so, you know, it's probably taken a little while, uh, well, a good while, because it still hasn't happened yet, for Arietta's demands to come close to the reality of what he is worth to MLB teams at this point. And so I think, you know, when you've got a guy like that that's hanging out there for a long time, I think it's not surprising that guys like Lance Lynn, you know, guys like Alex Cobb have had a hard time finding jobs also because, you know, if Arietta thought he was worth $200 million, they may have been worth $150 million. Um, clearly that also did not happen. Um, and so they've taken a big step back as well. And so I don't know, 
I mean, clearly the draft pick compensation doesn't help these guys' cases, but I think their financial demands may have been a bigger problem. We're talking uh, with Kyle Loebner, uh, talking all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball with him. Uh, the, uh, you know, I feel like I, I talk about this every single week, and, and I'm not trying to do the exact same interview that I do every week, but uh, a guy like Neil Walker is still out there. Does as, as more time goes by, do you think at some point they revisit? I think you know, it probably depends a little bit. You know, it's hard when you've got veteran guys to evaluate them based on their performance in spring training because there's question marks about, you know, how much we're actually learning by how these guys perform this spring. But if you see a guy like Jonathan VR come out and get hot this spring, um, then I think the Brewers probably point to that and say, you know, maybe Neil Walker isn't a fit on this roster because we're close to getting back to Jonathan VR of 2016, who was a very good everyday MLB player. Now, if the flip side happens, um, if Jonathan VR goes over his first 20 and Eric Sogard looks like he is the guy who, you know, was kind of a career journeyman before he burst onto the steam at the Brewers last year, then I think, yeah, there's, there's a pretty glaring need here and a guy on the market that very clearly fits that spot. Um, so, you know, it's going to be tough because you never want to evaluate a guy too much based on a small sample. But these few, these next few weeks for the guys who want to play second base for the Brewers could go a long way to determine if they actually get that opportunity or if the Brewers look outside. Before uh, before we let you go, uh, people can also read you. You do a lot with the uh, Timber Rattlers, and you have your uh, Frosty Micro Brews that come out there. And your most recent one uh, focused in on Wisconsin Timber Rattlers pitching coach uh, Steve Klein as he is uh, back with the club uh, once again. What especially as this farm system and the the entire Brewers organization the the since since the rebuild started at the end of the Doug Melvin era obviously what these coaching staffs are doing at the lower levels means so much what have you seen from Steve Klein maybe in his importance in terms of uh developing these pitchers at such a low level well I think you know Steve Klein's a guy who has a lot of experience working with pitchers who are very young in their careers uh, before coming to the Timber Rattlers, he had spent 15 years down at the Arizona Summer League um, with guys who were you know, literally fresh to the organization after getting drafted in their first taste of professional baseball. And the process of getting a guy acclimated from having been an amateur player to a professional player is a, it's a long one, you know, both on and off the field. And so I think having a guy that has that level of experience um, tailoring these guys' deliveries, you know, working with them on establishing a routine. Um, that's a really good thing for organizations to have. Um, and, and the thing with that Klein story is I think was a lot of fun. Uh, Steve Klein had been in the Midwest League in the early 90s, um, in 91 and 92. Then he was gone for 26 years and came back, or 25 years, and came back in 2017. Um, and so that story was a really fun opportunity to kind of pick his brain about how the Midwest League has changed. Um, when he was in the Midwest League for the first time, there were only eight teams in that league. There are 16 now, um, and most of the original eight have moved. Um, and, and so it was cool to get an opportunity to talk to him about how minor league baseball has kind of evolved um, over the years and gone from being you know, kind of a, a small business kind of sideshow type environment to being a, a really big business and a, a really family-oriented business over the years. Yeah, the Midwest, I, I spent two years working in the Midwest League. I worked in Burlington for two years, and it's a it's an interesting league because you have the Burlingtons, the Beloits, the Clintons that are, sure. are kind of older, you know, smaller towns. But then you have these huge, nice ballparks in Dayton, Ohio, and Midland, Michigan, and Fort Wayne, Indiana. I mean, it's it's very odd that there's 
in this league, there's some kind of the the stereotypical low A baseball fields that you would you know that that are straight out of central casting, but there's also some you know basically major league ballparks if they hold forty thousand people instead of ten thousand people. Uh, so it's it is it. It would be interesting to uh, to hear from somebody who talk about what it was like twenty plus years ago, and then what it's like now. Yeah, absolutely, and it's you know you can see almost in real time in the Midwest League how quickly um, minor league baseball became a very big business, um, and how quickly the business model changed around the sport. Because when you look at you know those ballparks you talked about in the East Division of the Midwest League, all the ones in Indiana, all the ones in Michigan, um, the couple in Ohio, none of those were there. Um, really 25 years ago, um, that league has expanded so much as baseball has expanded and as teams have jumped over from other leagues. And so you can really see, you know, when you go to Fort Wayne and you see their new ballparks there, um, you can see the difference between, you know, kind of what I think um, a lot of people who have been around the game for a long time picture as a minor league ballpark and what it has become. And I think, you know, here in Appleton, uh, with the Timber Rattlers, you see that evolution as well. You know, when you look at pictures of Goodland Field um, and the facilities that they used to be what we considered normal for minor league baseball at the low-A level, and you compare them to what we have now, the difference is really striking, and it came about in a pretty short period of time. All right, before we let you go, wanna, you've got something uh, new and, and fairly exciting. Uh, people know you from your uh, from your Twitter handle, at BrewFrostyMug, where you do do the, uh, the daily mug. Now, uh, you've got something a little bit new going on, and it's a chance to kind of consume it in a different kind of way. Can you tell our listeners uh, what you have going down? I've been writing the Frosty Mug now for 10 years, uh, which happened recently and made me feel really old. <laughs> uh, but... Over the last 10 years, I have developed, you know, kind of a daily system. I go out and I comb the web for Brewers News and Opinion. Um, It's a thing that I went looking for in 2008, couldn't find, and decided to start producing it myself. Um, And so I go out every morning looking for Brewer News, gather it in one place, kind of curate it. Um, And right now I'm sharing it on Twitter every morning, um, at Brew Frosty Mug. Um, But Twitter really isn't the ideal place um, to consume it. it. It's Twitter is problematic for a variety of reasons, um, you know, not the least of which being all of the uh, Russian bots and whatever that are on it. Um, but additionally, you know, if you don't catch the the quick mug live in the morning, you know, if you don't read my mind and happen to get up at seven ten in the morning when I'm getting ready to post it, um, you may miss it. You have to go back and look at my timeline and read it upside down, or you know, try to, to scroll back through to look for it. Um, And so what I'm doing, um, I launched last week a Patreon. A Patreon is a service that allows um, people to make small contributions to, you know, all kinds of content producers, people who make music, people who write, uh, people who produce podcasts. Um, But for me, it is the Frosty Mug. You can find it at patreon.com slash frosty mug. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's like patron with an extra E in there. Um, and if you go there and you sign up um, for a small contribution, I'm asking for $1 a month, um, I will collect the mug every weekday morning, and I will send it directly to you. Um, it comes in your email, or if you sign up for the Patreon app, it comes straight to your phone. And you can get the daily roundup of Brewer News that I've been producing for a decade now um, at your fingertips every day. Um, it'll be there at your convenience, and it will never be easier to keep up with all things brewers than if you are a subscriber to the Frosty Mug on Patreon. 
Um, so far, it's been a little less than a week now that we launched. I've been happy with some of the early results. I'm seeing um, both some people I've known for a long time and some people I've never met coming and signing up for it, which is great. Um, I have big hopes that it'll continue to take off as the weeks go on because um, it's been you know great to wrap the mug these last 10 years. It's been a challenge at times to try to find ways um, to prioritize it above my paying work. And so making the mug back into paying work is a, a cool thing for me, and it's an opportunity to continue to off, offer it free on Twitter, um, but additionally to provide it in a better form uh, for my subscribers and my biggest fans. All right, very good. Again, the uh, website is uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Frosty Mug. Follow Kyle on Twitter at uh, Brew Frosty Mug as well. Read him uh, in the Timber Rattlers uh, website. Read him at the Shepherd Express. He made reference to we're recording this on Sunday night, so by the time you're listening, it may already be out uh, on the Shepherd Express, his next piece. Uh, so Kyle's a very, very busy guy, and luckily he found some time for us. Kyle, as always, appreciate your time, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Our thanks to Kyle Loebner for joining us uh, on the program, starting to wrap things up. Uh, we're going to do this throughout the course of uh, not just spring training, but through the regular season as well. Look ahead to the schedule coming up uh, for the Brewers. First off, let's go uh, with just the overall schedule, and this is what's going to uh, happen with the Brewers. Again, we record this on Sunday night. Uh, all afternoon games through the course of the week, that's going to be the way it generally is in uh, spring training. Late in spring training, you'll get some, uh, you'll get some evening games when they travel to Houston uh, right before the uh, season gets started. They've got an evening game. They've got an evening game when they play Seattle late in spring training, but for the most part, it is afternoon contest. Uh, They're going to play Cleveland coming up on Monday, Cincinnati on Tuesday. They've got San Francisco on Wednesday, Thursday. They play Arizona Friday against Seattle, Saturday against Colorado, and then Sunday against Cleveland, and a week from Monday, March 5th. That's going to be their first off day of spring so far. As far as the broadcast schedule, you'll be able to hear a number of these games uh, on WTMJ 6.20 a.m. and also for you folks who are uh, listening in the Milwaukee area, not only can you hear it on uh, the biggest stick in the state, 6.20 a.m., but you can also, uh, and this is for folks uh, really in, in the Milwaukee area, Milwaukee and its suburbs, as WTMJ is also now on 103.3 FM. So listen, I was listening to uh, the, uh, the game this past Saturday uh, as uh, I was listening to it on the FM signal. It sounded great. It was fun to listen to baseball on FM. So those of you uh, in the direct Milwaukee area, you can now listen to uh, Brewers games on FM at 103.3. The uh, schedule, the broadcast schedule for this week, the Monday game against Cleveland, uh, that game will be on starting at 1.55. The Thursday game against Arizona, that will have a 2 o'clock broadcast start. The Saturday game against Colorado will have a 2 o'clock broadcast start. And the Sunday game against Cleveland will have a 1.55 broadcast start. So a pretty good week. Four of the seven games going to be on the radio on uh, WTMJ 620 and 1033 and uh, across some of the Brewers radio network stations as well. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Brewers X Grains, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Again, my thanks to uh, Kyle Loebner for joining us during the social media conversation. If you want to have a conversation with me on social media, see what I did there, you can do so on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Thanks for being tuned in. We look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition 
of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.